We're in a series right now called I'm In. And one of the things that, that I love about Jesus is that he is constantly swimming against the tide of both mainstream culture and also religious culture. You see this all throughout Jesus' time on earth is how he was constantly going the, the opposite direction of everybody else. He was talking to people that nobody else would talk to. He was, he was um, visiting people that nobody was visiting. He was embracing people, even physically touching people who nobody else would touch because they had contagious diseases that back in those days where you just would stay as far away from them as, as you possibly could. Jesus, uh, he held to convictions and beliefs that were fiercely criticized and rejected by, by almost everybody else. He was the guy that was just always going against the grain. Everybody else was swimming downstream, but, but Jesus was going against the flow and just going the, the opposite direction. And this, by the way, made him one of the most loved guys of the day, but also made him one of the most hated guys of his day. And in the Bible, there's four books that kind of tell the story of Jesus' life. You've got the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in all four of these books, it doesn't take very long, very much reading before you realize that, okay, yeah, Jesus was definitely going against the grain of, of culture. He just went the opposite direction. But you've got these four books, uh, four guys that personally witnessed the way that Jesus lived differently than everybody else. But of all four of these authors, no one appreciated the way that Jesus lived differently than everybody else as much as this guy that we're going to look at this morning named Matthew. You see, Matthew's life ended up getting totally transformed, totally changed by Jesus, and this wouldn't have happened if Jesus lived life like everybody else did. Unlike the other three authors, something about Matthew is that he takes some time in his book to tell about how he met Jesus, and it's a short story, just a couple of paragraphs, but it tells us so much about the heart of God. And so we're going to dive into this story this morning, but before we do, let me just kind of set the scene for you. Jesus is about 30 years old. He's become a very well-known public figure. His sermons and the, the miracles that he's been performing have just been attracting crowds in the thousands. And uh, while Jesus has been doing all this ministry, he's also been gathering together a small group of men that have become known as the disciples. And these are guys that Jesus is, is in close relationship with. Um, some of these guys are guys like Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, four guys that were these rugged fishermen, and these guys, along with Jesus, they called uh, Capernaum their hometown. And so this town, Capernaum, though, was not just a home to these fishermen and Jesus, it was also home to this man named Matthew. Only Matthew wasn't a fisherman like these other guys, he was a tax collector. Now, we've talked a lot about these guys before, these tax collector guys. Uh, just to give you a, a brief shot of who these guys were, they were some of the most hated people in all of Israel back in the day. They, were, uh, they worked for the evil Roman Empire. They were uh, just putting heavy, heavy tax burdens on people's backs. And on top of that, they were ripping people off. If the Roman government wanted 10% tax, they would, they would tax people way above that, and then they would scrape off whatever they made for themselves, and as a result, these guys were just filthy rich. They had these very lavish lifestyles. Well, Matthew, he's one of these guys, only he's hated more than most of them because not only is he a tax collector, but he's a Jewish tax collector. So he's, he's a tax collector who's, who's kind of like selling out 
his people, all for the sake of getting rich. And because Matthew is a tax collector in the same town that these four fishermen were, ta- were, were doing their, their, their trade, there's a, a really good chance that on number, a number of occasions that Matthew has been the guy sitting behind the tax booth when guys like Peter, James, and John stepped up to pay their taxes. These guys did not like Matthew. They did not get a warm, fuzzy feeling whenever they bumped into Matthew. They didn't spend their days off with Matthew. They didn't go on family vacations with Matthew and his family. They did not like Matthew because he had cheated and robbed them out of their hard-earned money, which brings us to how Matthew met Jesus. One day, Jesus and his disciples, the Bible tells us, they're walking through Capernaum, and they had just witnessed an amazing miracle. Jesus has just um, healed this guy that couldn't walk, and I imagine as they're walking through Capernaum, they probably got a little bit of a buzz in their conversation. They're excited. I mean, this guy who hasn't walked is now walking. They're like, Jesus, we can't believe what just happened, and as they they keep walking along, all of a sudden, they start to, to approach the tax booth of Matthew. And I don't, the Bible doesn't say exactly what happened there, but I kind of imagine that what happened was what happened when you see somebody in Hagen that you don't really like. You know how you kind of like, you put your head down and you, you, you walk as far away from them as you can? That's probably what's going on here with the, the disciples as they approach Matthew's tax booth. They want to get past as soon as they can, but to their dread, Jesus is not trying to book it past Matthew as fast as he can. What he's doing is he's actually walking towards Matthew's tax booth tax booth, and to the disciples' shock and dismay, Jesus doesn't just walk towards the booth. In fact, he walks up to Matthew, and then he stops, and then he looks at Matthew, and the Bible, it it tells us what happened like this. It says, "Um, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And at that, I'm sure the disciples' mouths dropped to the ground They're like, did he just say to Matthew what we thought he just said, come and follow me? And as the the disciples are standing there, probably crossing their arms, holding their breath, hoping that Matthew's just going to say flat out, no, Jesus, I don't want to follow you, the Bible says that Matthew got up and followed him. And I wish I could have been a fly on the wall when this all took place, because this, this was probably a very awkward, very uncomfortable situation and I, I wonder what would have happened. Like, was it just dead silence? Was Jesus making introductions? Did Peter come up to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, I just need to pull you aside for a second and have a little bit of a private conversation? Jesus, do you have any idea what you're doing here with this guy? But here's this situation. There's these guys in Matthew and Jesus all together. Jesus just said, follow me. Matthew has said, yeah, he's gotten up to follow him. And then next, the Bible says that Matthew throws this massive banquet for Jesus and his disciples. And Matthew doesn't go, okay, I'm just going to, I'm going to invite the kind of religious crowd to come and be a part of this. No, Matthew invites all of his friends to be a part of this banquet along with Jesus and his disciples. And the Bible puts it like this. It says, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Now, back in those days, the word sinners was used in this, this, uh, this situation to describe the most criminal, the most uh, disreputable types of people in society. This was kind of like the worst of the worst. 
And Matthew has all these guys, he gathers all these people to be here at this banquet with Jesus and his disciples. And I want you to just understand, you got to let this sink in, what's going on here. Jesus has just invited or, or gone over to, to this house along with his disciples, and, and they're hanging out with this group of people that Jesus' disciples would not have hung out in a mil, with in a million years if it had been up to them. And, and the amazing thing is, is that Jesus just kind of seems like he's right at home, as we're going to read about in this story. You know, one of the things, every time you have an election year, one of the things I find kind of funny is you're watching as different candidates will, will go into situations and in, into environments that they're just not normally seen in. And it happens every election cycle. They, they go to these different places, and you're watching, you're going, okay, they look super uncomfortable and super awkward, and I'm sure as soon as it's done, they're going to whisper to their campaign manager, hey, let's not ever go back there ever again kind of thing. But that's not Jesus. He, he's not here just to kind of show up, do his nice little deed, then re- retreat as quickly as possible back to his own little safe little bubble. Jesus is here with Matthew and all of his rowdy friends, and he looks like he's just completely in his zone, no rush to leave. In fact, he's there to stay a while. Something you've got to understand about Jewish culture is they had this thing called table fellowship. Table fellowship is what it was called when you had someone over for, for dinner inside your own home, and you only had table fellowship with your closest, most intimate friends. And Jesus is having table fellowship with Matthew and all of his rowdy friends. You see, unlike the way that, that most of us tend to, to make friends and have relationships, Jesus is friends with people who are drastically different than him, he, he's holy, they're not. He's honest, they're not. But it doesn't stop Jesus. Jesus just defies the whole logic of birds of a feather flock together. No, Jesus has friend, friendships with people drastically different than him. He's friends with people who are social outsiders. He's not in, interested in, in the whole pecking order that sometimes we get caught up in in our culture. He's not like a, a student who's trying to get up there and one day be friends with the popular kids or trying to get up there to, to the place where one day he's friends with the elite of society. That's not Jesus whatsoever. He's, he's friends with social outsiders. Um, he was also friends with those who were disliked and even hated. And tax collectors and sinners, they, all, they fit into all three of these categories. They were drastically different than Jesus. They were social outsiders, and they were disliked and, and even hated by most. And yet here we see Jesus. He's moving in close. He's becoming friends and sharing fellowship with this group of people and doing it so much that he would even get a reputation for being a friend of sinners and tax collectors. You see, in a a society where, much like today, you had this invisible boundary between the religious and the non-religious, what Jesus was doing was absolutely scandalous absolutely scandalous. And the Bible says that, that here, here they are, Jesus and his disciples, they're all in this room. The Bible says what happens next is this. It says, when the Pharisees saw this, so here comes the religious crowd, here comes the, the rules people. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? These guys are bugged, they're bothered, they don't get it. Why, Jesus, you should not be 
breaking through this invisible line that we've set up here? Why are, why, why, why are you doing this? And I wonder why the, the Pharisees, though, why, why do you think they went to Jesus' disciples and rather, rather than just go straight to Jesus? Normally, you've got an issue or a concern with somebody. You just go straight to that person. But these guys don't. And there's, there's got to be a reason. And I think maybe the reason is because they, they might have seen the disciples. Here they are in this, this home. Jesus is off. They're just kind of hanging out with these guys. But maybe the disciples were kind of sitting back. Maybe they had their arms crossed. And they're kind of like making it known that they just don't get what Jesus is doing. They're not very happy that Jesus is hanging out with this guy. And maybe the Pharisees kind of picked up on this body language, and they, they thought, okay, we're going to sow a little bit of, of discord here and, and take up our concerns with, with a third party. And so they go to the, to the disciples, and they're like, what's going on with Jesus and these, these, these tax collectors? And so Jesus, though, he catches on to what's happening here. And Jesus, like Superman, has enhanced superpower hearing he hears a little side conversation going on, and he speaks up. And I absolutely love what Jesus says. The Bible says, on hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. That's so good. I want to read it one more time. Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick which, by the way, includes every single one of us in this room. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I would rather that you love, that you live a life of compassion, than do all the religious ritual stuff that you do. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And what I want to do in our last little bit of time here is I want to look at what this incredible story means for us. The first thing is this. Christ-like compassion is not wishing people well from a distance. It's sharing your life with people and loving them up close. Too often in the church, we simply wish people well from a distance. We will we'll support a missions agency or some kind of outreach program, or, or maybe we, we promise to pray for somebody in passing at, at work or at school. In short, we'll do anything that will allow us to keep a safe distance from people. And Jesus, though, is completely different. He doesn't just say hi to Matthew. He doesn't just approach Matthew and say, hey, is there anything that I can be praying for you about? He doesn't do that. He doesn't keep a distance. Instead, he says, follow me. In other words, I want you to belong to my group. I want you to be a part of my close circle of friends. And the church has been, has been slow in following Jesus' example in, in this. When it comes to people who live differently than us, when it comes to people who are outside of our social, social circles, people who behave differently than us, we, we tend to keep people at a, at a safe distance. But this is not how Jesus, how Jesus lives and what Jesus shows us. He's asking us to go further. In fact, he's asking us to go a whole lot further. He's asking us to open up our hearts, to open up our homes, to open up our lives to people who are far from God. And Jesus will take, like we, like we see in this story, he'll take the worst of the worst, so to speak, and offer them friendship. And he's calling you and he's calling me to do the exact same thing. Something else that we see in this story is that Jesus doesn't go where he's most liked 
or most comfortable. He goes where he's most needed. I don't know if you caught the, the comparison that Jesus makes in this story, but he compares himself to a doctor. Now, I've had a lot of experience in emergency rooms and with doctors over the years. Uh, most of my life, I, I, I lived in Canada, and in Canada, where health care is free, and yes, I know it's taxed and all that, and it's paid for by taxes, but just work with me for a second, okay? But, but in Canada, the emergency rooms have way more people in them because you don't have to pay for it up front. So you go into an emergency room in Canada, it's, you're, you're waiting in line for a long, long time. I remember the first time uh, seven years ago when I, I went to an emergency room at St. Joe's, and I remember just being shocked how few people needed emergency care in, in a county this size. I was just blown away. But in, I've had a number of experiences in an emergency room, and the worst, though, have been uh, one time I, I broke a collarbone snowboarding. Another time I took a chainsaw to my leg and needed a ton of stitches. The whole thing was just open. It was a mess. I won't go into detail because you don't want to hear detail. But it was a mess. And I remember going to the emergency room and just being really thankful for this thing called triage, thankful that the doctor went to me first rather than the people over here who were there because they maybe had the sniffles or whatever. The doctor, he, he knew that I was the one who needed his care and his attention the most. Now, he could have said, okay, Rich, your leg's a little bit bloody. It's a little bit messed up. I don't feel like having to deal with that right now. I'm going to go over here where it's a little bit easier. Just put the thing on someone's chest and prescribe a couple Tylenol and off I go. He didn't do that. He knew that I needed the care, his, his care and his attention the most. And Jesus, he's asking us to live our lives with that same level of intentionality, that same level of, of focus. Uh, Jesus, he, he lived his life. He, he knew who needed his, his, his care, who needed his love the most, and he, he went there intentionally. And it's natural for us to, to find ourselves I find this with all the time. It's, it's so easy just to get kind of stuck in our, our, our circle of friends, our social circle that we, we, we just tend to gravitate towards where we're liked and where it's comfortable and where we're just at ease. But Jesus in this story is asking us to bust those circles wide open and to live with some intentionality, to look around at, at the people that we, we live our lives with who we just tend to brush past and go, okay, I'm going to actually open up my heart and my home and my life to this person. Every single one of us, our, our lives intersect with people whose lives are far from God. People who, who need to experience the saving, transforming power of Jesus. People who are in the most need. And I'd ask all of us this morning two questions. Who are the people in your life who are far from God who need him the most. Who are those people? And when you've got them in your head, the next question is this, what can you do to be more intentional with those God's placed in your life? What can you do? Maybe you have a neighbor you can invite over for football or for dinner or for cards. Maybe students, you pass someone in the hall all the time. Maybe for you, it's inviting someone to FCA or, or to be a part of a fusion or something. Maybe you have a son or a daughter in your life that has just kind of distanced themselves and maybe you push them away 
and, and now it's time to start inviting them back into your life. We all intersect daily with people who are far from God. What can you do to be intentional? Jesus, through this story, is asking us to open up our lives to people. He doesn't go where he's most liked or comfortable. He goes where he's most needed. And what I love about Jesus is when he shows up, he doesn't show up with his arms crossed. He doesn't show up with, with, with a furrowed brow and with condemnation. He doesn't do any of that. In fact, Jesus shows up with three things. And there are three things that, that we believe in so much as a church that we've adopted them into our mission statement. Jesus shows up with love, and he shows up with acceptance, and he shows up with forgiveness. And these are three minimal guarantees that we must make to people. First is that, love under every circumstance, no exceptions. Love under every circumstance, no exceptions. The Bible says that it's the kindness of God that leads you to repentance. It's the kindness of God. It's not judgment. It's not condemnation. Jesus didn't come to do any of that stuff. It's, it's the kindness of God. The Bible also says that, that God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while we were still a mess, while we were still broken, while we were still just in that, that place of being far away from God, what does he do? He loves. Christ died for us. He, he gave his life for us. The next guarantee that we must make to people is totally accepted without reservation. Totally accepted. You see Jesus going up to Matthew, and you don't see him rattling off a list of, okay, Matthew, I really want you to be a part of, of my, my group of friends. Matthew, I really want you to be a part of this great thing going on. But Matthew, first of all, what you need to do, here's some things that you need to, to change this. You need to get, maybe adjust the way you, you do your taxes, tax a little more fairly, um, be a person that's got a little bit better reputation. He doesn't do any of that. He goes up to Matthew, who's been ripping people off, and who knows, might even continue to rip people off, and he says, Matthew, follow me. It's, it's, it's this place of being, just accepting him and bringing him in without reservation. You see, religion tends to have it like this. Religion tends to say, you need to, first of all, you got to behave. You got to behave right. You got to get your act cleaned up. You got to fall in line. You got to talk like this. You got to act like this. You got to do all this stuff. You got to behave right. And then when you start to believe right, then you can belong. Then you can be a part of, the, of, of us. You can be a part of this thing that we've got going on. One of the things that, that I love about CTK is that we just do not do religion. We don't do religion. And, and, and in fact, we have completely flipped the order over because we want to be like Jesus and Jesus is about loving relationship and with Jesus it goes belong, believe, behave. We want you to be right at home regardless of how far away from God you are, regardless of, of how your, your life might be broken. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. We want you to belong. We want, we want you to be a part of not only our services and what we do here on a Sunday, but we want you to be a part of our lives. And and. And the hope and the prayer is that when you, as you belong, you, you'll catch a glimpse of who Jesus is and his, his transforming, life-giving power, and that, and that eventually you'll get to the place where you're, you're becoming like him. And, and it's not about getting people to become like us. It's about getting people to become like Jesus. 
and to experience the life that only he can bring. So it's total acceptance without reservation. And then the third guarantee is this, unreserved forgiveness no matter how miserably you fail or how blatantly you sin. Doesn't that sound good? You know, don't all of us want to, we're human. We all are imperfect. We all are going to mess up. And when we do, we want to we have a place. We want to have people in our lives that when we come back, are gonna, they're, gonna, they're just going to have their arms wide open and they're going to forgive us, regardless of how blatantly we've, we've, we've screwed up. The, the church has to be a place where people far from God and even longtime followers of Jesus can mess up and experience forgiveness. And the Bible commands us, it says this, forgive how as the Lord forgave you without reservation. That's how, that, how he forgives. And when God's spirit is, is alive and active inside of us, we will not only see people more as God sees them, what we're going to do is we're going to be compelled to move towards them. We're going to be compelled to move towards them. We're going to start to see people in our lives that are far from God, who, are, who just really need God, and rather than move past them and just ra- rather than live lives that are too busy to do something about, about, about it, we're going we're gonna to move towards them. I imagine that with the disciples, they had probably just gone past Matthew, I mean, countless times. They see him there, they just go right past him. He probably had just become another person on the side of the road, but then Jesus shows up and he sees Matthew in a way that they don't see him. And all of us have people in our lives that we, we see every day that, that I believe God is asking us to, to, to not just blow past them, but to stop and to begin to pour our lives into them, however that looks. However that looks. Everyone needs to experience God's healing presence. And, and really, at the end of the day, there's no us and them here. There's no sinners and non-sinners. I mean, we are all broken people in the same boat. And, and, but Christ calls us his church. He calls us to, to not keep people at a distance, he calls us to, 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 to bring down that barrier that, that we sometimes put up, and he calls us to, to get outside of our safe and comfortable place and instead be like him, to be like him, um, to be like him who didn't come for the healthy, but he came for the sick, who he lived with this intentionality. He gave his life away for the sake of others, and he invites us to do the same. And so I would challenge you today to, to begin to live your life differently. Um, I know many of you get this. I love some of the stories I hear from people in this church about how they're just loving on people without, with no strings attached. It's just you love people, and Christ is calling us to do the same. And for some of us, it'll be a, a stretch. You get in a comfortable place, a place where you just feel at ease, and, and, and what will happen is Christ will begin to show you someone who he wants you to begin to reach out with, and it will require you to step outside of that comfortable place and go, okay, I'm going to do whatever you're asking me to do. But Christ calls us, the church, to be, to be a light, to be a city on a hill. And you do that by shining brightly. And so begin to look for people in your life who God has placed there for you to be a blessing to. And then when he invites you and, and calls you out of your comfort zone and, and asks you to engage with them, let's be faithful. Let's do that and believe that God will will, will work in people's lives as we follow him. Amen?
Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you give us such a great example in Scripture of, of love, of acceptance, of forgiveness, of reaching out to people and, and not just reaching out and then pulling back, but Lord, you, you embrace people and bring them right into your, your inner circle. And Father, we're so thankful that you have done that with each one of us in this room. Lord, when we were far away from you, Jesus, you went after us, you pursued us, and, and then you, as, we, as we put our faith and trust in you, Jesus, you make us your friends, and, and the, your word talks about how we're, we're no longer called servants, but we're called friends of God. Lord, you have done that with, with each one of us, and I, think, I, I ask Jesus that you would help us to be like you, not because, um, Lord, we should reach out to people or just something that, that's a duty, but Lord, I pray that you would transform our hearts and our lives so that we become people of love, people of compassion, Lord, people who see those around us who, who just desperately need a God who's a God of healing and forgiveness and life and joy and peace and all those things that you came to bring. Lord, help us. Lord, I pray that you would give us a faith to believe that, Jesus, you can work through our broken lives to make a difference in the life of somebody around us. Father, I ask all this in your good, good name, Jesus. Amen. 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 Amen.